There was a conference this past week called the Henkel Conference, and uh, I just, I'm going to pass this book around. I think some of you would like it. It's called The New Abnormal. Doesn't that sound good? Remember the new normal? This is all the new normal. This is called the new abnormal. This was one of the presenters at the, um, at the conference. He is a, his name is Aaron Cariotti. He's a Roman Catholic who is, I think, a psychiatrist or psychologist. And he was also the head of the um, bioethics department somewhere out in California. And so, so when, when COVID... Um, kind of was, I think it was when the schools were going back into session, they made a rule that um, if you want to stay as a professor at this college, University of California, Irvine, you got to get the shot. And he said, I don't want to do that. And they fired him. And so he, um, he and a number of other doctors were just talking about um, the crushing of dissent. Right, so remember, one of the things that was often said, and I think there's some truth to this, is, well, we just didn't know what was happening at the time. Um, and that's in part true, but it's also true if you don't let anyone dissent, then you'll never hear any other voices than what you're hearing. And so this book is just talking about uh, his experience there. I'll pass it around. You can take a look at it. But um, any, anything else from those of you who attended the conference, any other speakers who you thought were particularly good? You want to give a report to the class? I thought you wanted me to say something. Yeah, go for it. We made them sit in a corner. Yeah. And you can, yeah, the, there was presenters talking about, um, uh, you know, bioethics, which is what that book is about. There were presenters talking about 
um, just the intersection of Christianity and culture, Christianity and the family, um, a Christian view of uh, how do we think about, uh, like Roxy said, artificial intelligence and its use. How do we think about those things? And then there were some that were more what we would call kind of uh, Lutheran bread and butter, meat and potatoes. So it wasn't all like, um, you know, we're just going to talk about COVID the whole time. It was a, a pretty widespread sampling of things, and I, I'd encourage you to go. Yes? I think there were, I think the pastor said there were 100 and, uh, 110 folks or so. Start each day with a, a worship service. Matt, we sang, yep, we sang matins every morning, and then there'd be presenters, and there was a meal, you know, provided. It was just a good, good conference. Yes, right. Yeah, it's a congregation about our size. The building is about our size. You know, it was in a room, probably about this big. So it's not a huge, it's not a big, huge thing. But the names who came, um, Carl Truman, if you know who that is, he is not an um, obscure figure. Uh, he might not be known to us, but he's a very well-known name, a, a highly sought-after speaker. So it's, it's, qual- it's, worth, the, um, it's worth the cost. Yes? Um, well, I think one of the, the last presenter was a classmate of mine, Adam Kuntz, and he was talking about his, his presentation was called um, The New Frontier, What Sacrifices Will Be Necessary for the Spread of the Gospel? And he, was, he said uh, there's three, uh, well, he gave three things to be sacrificed and three things to be pursued, and he just talked about the, um, you know, the prestige. Uh, It is not a prestigious thing to be a Christian, certainly to be a pastor. Um, It's not, you don't go into it because you want accolades and fame and fortune. Um, And and that's true even as a, um, you know, even as just a regular Christian, not a weirdo like a pastor, but even just a regular Christian, um, you do get kind of looked at funny. And if I think that it's, it may seem like a small thing, but it's an important thing to just realize that so you're not shocked that people scorn the faith, um, and also so that you're not silent, um, because it, it was really an encouraging conference to just say, hey, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it. It's not, it might not be accepted by everybody, or it may not be as widespread um, received as it used to be, but that's the mission, is to actually speak uh, what we believe and not just kind of, well, people don't want to hear from me, so I'm just going to be quiet. Um, that, that attitude um, has to kind of pass away. So, yes? Yeah. Okay, let's get started then. If you want to see those videos uh, when they come out, um, if you're interested in these things, I'll, um, I'll let you know because all those videos will eventually be available um, via the magic of the internet and YouTube, what, if you know what that is. It's like AI, right? Let's pray and then we want to talk about Abraham. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have caused 
all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant now that we may read, mark, and inwardly digest your word, that encouraged by what is written there, we may endure to everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles, Genesis 16. Um, We're going to jump right into it here uh, with only this one caveat or this one little um, setting of the scene. What happened in the immediately preceding story? Sam? God said, I'm going to chop myself up into pieces if I don't give you a sign. The Lord made a, he said he's going to chop himself up into pieces if he doesn't fulfill the sign. What do we call that? The Lord made a Covenant. covenant, okay? The Lord enters into a covenant with Abraham. And if you look back in chapter 15, um, it's all related to this, the two things that are very, uh, very much at the center of Abraham's life. The two promises God makes are, I will give you the land and I will give you offspring. So land and seed. And now God says, not only do I say this, but I'm willing to Um, In a sense, I'm going to put my name on the line. I'm going to put my life on the line. Okay, so we talked last week about marriage. Um, I noticed Todd and Colleen aren't here this week, but um, I used them as the example, right? It's great for Todd all day long to tell Colleen how much he loves her, but until he's willing to put his name down on the line, she's still thinking it's not enough. And God is the God who not only makes promises, but also enters into this covenant, this binding promise. That's a good way. If you want to know what a covenant is, it's a binding promise. So it's an even stronger form of a promise. And God uh, enters into that with Abraham. Okay? So with that in the background here, let's see then what happens. What we would expect to happen is that, okay, the promise is going to come to pass now. Right? God gives a word. He gives this sign, and surely now uh, it's all about to happen. And in a way, it kind of does. But let's read it. Uh, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, no seed. She had a female Egyptian servant. Where was she from? Egypt. Egypt. Good to keep in mind here. These places are, no no detail of scripture is, um, is ever just kind of tossed out there. Uh, We read it and sometimes our eyes just glaze over. Oh, she's from Egypt, no big deal. Um, But that certainly uh, is is part of the story here. She's a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Hagar. Wasn't there a cartoon called Hagar the Horrible? Yeah, that was a good cartoon. Not quite quite Garfield level, but it was close. Um, Anyways, she's not a Viking. And Sarah said, Sarai, I should say, her name's not Sarah yet. Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Do any of you have a little uh, superscript there next to that phrase, obtain children? What does it say? If you have one, shout it out. What is, what's the other way you could translate obtain children? Build. So, this theme of building. Where else have we seen a woman get built? Eve Eve was built 
out of the rib, right? It's an interesting use of the word women. Um, isn't there a song? She's a brick house, right? Um, women are built. And when God makes Eve, he doesn't say, it's in the Bible, okay? Um, when, when God makes Eve, you have to pay attention to the actual words of the Bible. You can't just say, well, he made Eve. It doesn't say that. It's true, he made her, but it says he built her. So the woman is a building, and the way she is built out is through her children. So you build, the woman is built, and through the children, she is even more built. Okay? Now, what else do we build? This is why you've got to pay attention to the words of the Bible. It starts to link things together that you say, oh, that's what the Bible is all about. What else do we build? The sermon was all about it. Houses? Cities, right? How does the Bible end? A city. And what kind of a city is it? It's a holy city, and it's the bride of Christ, right? So at the end, the bride of Christ is also a city. See how these things, the Bible, the Holy Spirit fits everything together, and we get to discover it all. It's the glory of God to hide a thing, and the glory of a king to dig it, or build, um, discover it. But in any case, um, Sarah says, I'm, not, I'm, in, I'm an incomplete building project, but maybe... Maybe if you take Hagar, you can fin- I can be, you know, finished, built all the way out. All right. Now, uh, where did I leave off? I shall obtain children. I shall be, my house shall be built up by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Always good to listen to your wives, right, husbands? Is this a good, good, uh, good time to listen to Sarai? Well, let's keep seeing, maybe. So after Abram, I don't know, maybe Hagar was cute. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So what's Sarai's plan here? What do we call this in the modern world? Surrogacy, Surrogacy, right? This is a surrogate womb, not a good thing. But the idea is, Sarai can't have children, so Hagar will have them for her. Now, what do you suppose, the arrangement would have been like this, you have the baby, but then it belongs to me, right? I get the child, he'll be mine. Now, when it says Hagar had contempt for Sarai, What's part of that? How, what, what do you suppose? How, do, how would that have played out? Yeah. Now that I have the kid, he's mine. <laughs> right? I go back on the surrogacy. Yes. Yes. So part of it, too, is just, you know, I'm better than you. Right? Because I can, have ki- I can be built and you can't. Right? I have the kids, you don't. But, but part of that here is the arrangement that was made that the child would belong to Sarah. Now that Hagar is having the kid, uh, you know, I'd rather not. Right? And this is part of, I mean, in all honesty, this story is not about surrogacy. I see you. Don't worry. Um, part, of the, part of the issue here with surrogacy is if somebody else bears the child for you, 
those, that attachment between the mother and the baby is not, it's no small thing, right? That's a deep bond between mom and baby. And to just say, well, it's no big deal. My womb is for rent. This is why, uh, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, that's a no-no. Did you have your hand up? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm, like I'm sure most people in here, pray regularly and Good. feel in the presence of God. Now, I've not had God come and talk to me and say, Paul, this or whatever. These people have that. And then they give somebody else as the one. That didn't work in this world today, or at least it's not supposed to. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So why do you keep, why do you sin? Why don't you stop sinning already? Well, just knock it off. Stop. Yeah, sure. I, I know what you mean. Um, it's, and I say that half jokingly, but, um, you know, if you have God's word written down, you have God's word just as good as if he appeared to you. I, I, I mean, honestly, sin Why is... Why did he put up with it? What's that? Why did God put up with it? <laughs> Why does he put up with you? <laughs> well, I have a better question. He made you a pastor. <laughs> I, I'm, saying, I'm saying you. I'm, I'm saying you. I mean all of us. Why does God... Yes, this story does certainly bring out the fact that Abram is not a virtuous, a perfect man. I, I guess what I'm saying is, I would quake in my boots if I did what they did. Well, I think, yeah, I think um, you, can, you should apply that same thought. This is my point. You should apply that same quaking to, to any sin. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, and you're right on, and I, there's something really good in what you point out that we're going to come back to in a minute, but you had your hand up, Jim. Well, I guess I'm Okay, now, let's, let's keep in mind here. Who has the Lord spoken to? Abram. Abram. Who had the deep sleep dream? Abram. Abram. Who did the Lord appear to in the land of Ur of the Chaldees? Abram. Abram. Who did he not speak to? Sarai. Sarai. So how does she know? She's got to listen to her husband, which is a lot harder than listening to God, right? <laughs> sure, Abram, okay, we're going to have a son. You've been telling me that for 15 years. Okay, well, it's not working, buddy. How about you take, maybe we need to take things into our own hands. You know, after all, what do we always say? God gave us our reason, right? So God doesn't want me to be foolish, and if it's not working with me, Maybe I'm, we're supposed to figure this out, and you take Hagar. You can, you can see it's not as radical as just um, God gave a command and Abram said, forget you. I mean, this has played out, and when we read it, it's one thing right after another, but you don't get the passage of time um, that is part of the story and, and helps us at least see, like, okay, I can see why they would start to question is this ever going to happen? Maybe we need to make a, a different arrangement. But at this point in the Bible story, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this this is good to see. Sarah is um, not there. There hasn't been a mention of Sarah yet. It's been all Abram. And the implication is you and your wife, but it hasn't been specified about Sarah. Now, just I'll just push back on one little thing here. Catherine's right. There hasn't been a command, you know, don't marry multiple wives. But how do we know that you shouldn't marry multiple wives, even if God never says, only marry one woman? He, right. We go back. This is the same way that Jesus does things. When he's asked questions about marriage, Jesus goes, how was it in the beginning? That when God instituted marriage in the garden, what did he do? He took one man and one woman and put them together. So you're right. It hasn't been like, hey, don't have multiple wives, but it's already, it's already there. Um, so th- this is all good stuff. We're noticing these things. This is good. Um, now, where did I leave off? Did we get to the end? No, we, we didn't get quite to the end. She had contempt on her mit- mistress. Look at verse 5. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, whose idea was all this? Sarah, right? And now she gets... She, she had this plan, she thought it was going to be great, and now that it's actually come to fruition, instead of happiness, what has she got? Bitterness. Bitterness. Shame. She's ashamed. Okay? Uh, and we're going to see what she does next. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. You do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly, she afflicted her, is the literal translation, and she fled from her. Now on the board here, I've got two names, Eve and Sarah. See if you can put together some, let's let's see if we can fill this out, because I think there's a lot of overlap between the story of Eve and the story of Sarah. We've already mentioned the thing about being built, Okay. But in what other ways does this scenario follow the pattern of Eve in the garden? What do we got, Adam? Okay, so I'm going to put blames Abram. Who did Eve blame? No, Adam blamed Eve. <laughs> Adam blamed Eve, um, and Eve blamed the serpent. But you can see here, in any case, the, uh, you're right, Adam, this connection of blaming is important to see. What else? There's, that's not the only similarity. Okay. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put in here, um, take matters on self, right? This, obviously, God is not working this out, so we've got to do something now, 
When God goes silent, we fill in the blanks. And, you know, we have to do something, Abram. We've been waiting for a long time. The other one I mentioned here, uh, Eve had no direct word. How did she know that she shouldn't eat from the tree? She had to listen to her husband, right? Uh, Sarah had no direct word. She had to listen to her husband. Okay. Um, what else? There's other uh, little overlaps. Mike, what do you notice? Yeah, okay, good. We're going to say even before the blame comes, how did it go for Eve? When they ate, what was the promise? Okay, you get kicked out, but remember what, the, what did the devil promise Eve? Your eyes will be opened. You'll become like God. You'll know good and evil. What did she get when she actually ate? Shame, right? She knew she was naked and ashamed. So we're going to put on here shame. Sarah thought, hey, this is a good way to get a child. I'll be happy. Everything will be great. Instead, it brings shame. Okay? Uh, now, Eve gets banished, right? They're kicked out of the garden. Who gets banished in this story? Yeah, interesting. There's some similarities and differences. Hagar is banished. Okay. Instead of passing fruit to Abram, she gives the woman, the servant girl, right? In some ways, it's even worse, right? Okay, eating an apple, well, God said not to, or whatever kind of fruit it was. But here, you know, this is a lot, this, <laughs> this whole scenario involves a lot more of Abram's complicity <laughs> than eating the fruit, doesn't it? There's a lot of action that Abram, he could have stopped things uh, along the way. So in both cases, you can see here, uh, there, and, and even just some of the language, look at verse, um, verse 2, the second half, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. How does it describe Adam when Eve gives him the fruit? Listen to her. Adam listened to the voice of his wife. She gave, he took. All of the, the language, the, verb, the verbs that are being used are meant to evoke the parallel. This isn't just like, oh, maybe that's a parallel. This is meant, you're meant to draw these connections um, when you read this. Yes? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Abram, he kind of evades the whole thing, doesn't he? He evades the responsibility, just like Adam evaded responsibility. He should have, you know, stepped in. Um, he shouldn't have eaten. Uh, now Abram, you're right, he evades the responsibility. This is men. Men have this tragic flaw. The woman always wants to take over, and the man always wants to, okay, dear, whatever you want, right? That is always, that's Maybe not always. That's 95% of the, the, the trouble between the sexes, right? Is that the woman, want, and, and God even says, this is what's going to happen. Your desire will be to rule over your husband, right? Um, and we see that play out all the time. 
Okay? So it comes up here. I'm not, you know, I'm not blaming woman or, or man here. It's both parties. Right? It, it always goes both ways. Yes? Yes, they're both women. Very good. <laughs> okay, now, so what do we do with that? What do we do with all of that? Well, we should connect the dots here to see that this is um, obvious, and, and part of this is just, well, it's, isn't it obvious without drawing these charts, this was a bad thing to do, right? Paul made the point from the very get-go, come on, why did you think this was a good thing to do? Um, but you could say the same thing about Adam and Eve, why did they go in for the eating of the fruit? Why did, well, come on, God, how, how much clearer does God have to make it? Don't eat from that tree. Um, so you get this repetition of the fall, and it sets you up for there's going to be something very similar here. So in the same way, put your hand down for a second, in the same way that the fall led to the curse, now we've got a curse coming in here. But Remember, in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just a curse. What else did God give in the Garden of Eden? A promise. A promise. Yeah, the curse and the pain and the discipline and all that, right? We think of that. But there is the promise that in you and in... I'm sorry, that's the promise to Abram. Uh, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, right? So the seed of the woman in Genesis 3 is the promise of redemption. And is there a seed of a woman here in this story? It's Ishmael. And uh, what we're going to see here, hopefully I can connect some dots for you, is that at least at first, Ishmael is the bearer of the promise, but only for a very brief time. And then Ishmael gets replaced by, do we know the story? Isaac. But so far, we haven't met Isaac. All we know is that God's going to bless the seed of Abraham, and through him, he's going to bless the whole world. So watch what happens here with Hagar. So far, we've only been thinking about Sarai and Abram. Now the, the scene shifts more to Hagar. So she gets kicked out. Sarai dealt harshly with her. She fled from her. Verse 7. Who else would somebody else read? Would you please, Ben, go for it. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Where have we heard that before? That was the promise to Abraham, wasn't it? And now it's being applied to Hagar and Ishmael. That's not the way it's supposed to go, is it? This is, honestly, this was new. Every time I've ever thought about this, I've always just thought, Ishmael bad, Isaac good. And that's true. We're going to see that replacement of Ishmael. But at least at the start here, Ishmael is, he's put in front of us as, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the seed. Yes? Well, and basically we're talking about uh, Ishmael's progeny is, well, the Muslims today. Yeah, right. 
And that, that plays into when I think of Ishmael, I think, well, how can anything good come from Ishmael, right? Because this is um, nothing but pain uh, for the world. But, and that, and that does play out, but at least at the beginning here, what I want you to see is the blessing is on Ishmael. The blessing here is on Ishmael. Who is, who is speaking with Hagar? The angel of the Lord. This is, a new, this is the first time in the Bible, when you start in Genesis and you start going, this is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord. And remember, we talked about this last week. Whenever we read the angel of the Lord, we should think of Jesus, Jesus the second person of the Trinity. So this isn't just, hey, um, you know, God's sitting up in heaven and he's like, which one of you angels is off duty today? You know, I guess go down there and, and deal with Hagar. I don't know. She's unimportant. So, you know, some sub-tier angel gets sent down. The angel of the Lord comes down. And Sarai kicked Hagar out. Abram evaded any responsibility for her. And who takes care of her now? The angel of the Lord, right? Uh, you get the sense that maybe, maybe Hagar is not all that bad. Maybe the Lord does watch over those uh, who are hurt and kicked out. Yes? Just to note that in the Quran, this is completely reversed. Instead of Isaac being uh, sacrificed by his dad, Ishmael sacrificed by his dad. Right. We're, we're not there yet. The, the, the reversal, what the Quran doesn't get, is that Isaac replaces Ishmael. But we, we haven't even met Isaac yet, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, again, part of the reason why my, my kind of knee-jerk, and probably most of us in the room, when we hear about Ishmael, we think, what good could be, there can't be anything good with Ishmael. Because that's who the Muslims point to as the one who carries the promise of Abraham. Well, they're, they're wrong, but they're not entirely wrong. Because it does start this way. It looks like Ishmael is going to bring the blessing. And we're going to see how that gets undone, but at least it starts this way. Yes? Let me go close that door. Well, I, yeah, I think you're, you're right, but keep in mind that the, um, when does the Muslim heresy, uh, when does it come into the world? 700. 700, 700 years after Christ. So it's, it's not an immediate, Hagar and Ishmael are just the source of all kinds of terrible things. If, yeah, I mean, play it out. Sure. Yeah. If it wouldn't have been, well, <laughs> maybe, um, maybe God, maybe. Yeah. Right. This distortion and, and my only point in saying this, uh, I'm not 
pro-Muslim. Okay, you guys know that, don't you? Right? Um, I'm a Christian. Uh, I believe that the promise of Abraham came through the seed of Sarah and Isaac and down to Jesus, right? But um, what Jeff is saying, this is a good point, the, the Muslims distort the scriptures. And what they're doing is they're taking this story and saying, um, see, God blessed Ishmael. And therefore, Ishmael is the one who brings Abraham's blessing into the world. And we, we should see this, yes, God blessed Ishmael, but he didn't, that blessing wasn't permanent. In a lot of ways, it's the same thing. What, um, think about the, the, the time of the apostles. Who is the primary opponent of the apostles? Who resists the spread of the gospel? Whenever Paul is going around preaching, who's trying to kill him? The Jews, right? The Judaizers are his opponent. So the same thing that the Muslims do later, the Jews did at the time of Jesus. No, it's, you got the wrong seed. You got to stick with the synagogue, right? Um, you can see some, there's a, a lot of overlap between what the, the Jews do with Isaac, refusing to see Jesus as the fulfillment, is what the, the Muslims do with Ishmael. They refuse to see that Isaac replaced Ishmael. And then the Jews refuse to see that Jesus replaced Isaac. This replacement thing um, comes up quite a bit in Genesis, almost like it's important. Can you think of any other sons who replace other sons in the Bible? Well, Ephraim was supposed to get the blessing but Manasseh. Yeah, you get when Jacob blesses his sons. Uh, remember, Joseph brings the two boys and says, okay, dad, bless my two sons. And uh, he does it the opposite way. Right? Um, Jacob himself was the second born, and he replaces Esau. He gets the blessing from Isaac. It's, it's this constant Judah gets the blessing instead of Reuben. There's always the younger son being put in place of the older. And you can see this is just the first iteration of that story with Ishmael getting replaced by Isaac. Okay, now let's actually get to the blessing because uh, we paused. I kind of cut Ben off. Where were you? Yes, the multiplication of the seed. Go for it. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your question. He shall be a wild Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Birad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay, let's talk about the age first. We'll take that detail. We've got to do a little math to wake up here. How old was Abram when he died? Does anybody know? He was this old, 175 when he died. Now, if you take, how old is he when Ishmael's born? Okay. If you take 86 
If you divide 175 by 86, what does it equal? This isn't exact. It equals about two. When is Ishmael born? In the middle of Abraham's life. In the midpoint of his life, here comes Ishmael. Okay? You see why the Muslims point to Ishmael and say he was a big deal. It's, it's, not, it's not because they're totally wrong. Okay? They're totally wrong about the whole thing with the sacrifice. But Ishmael's kind of a big deal. Right in the middle of Abraham's life, he has a son. Surely that's the son of blessing. Okay? Now, um, what else in here? Look at, what the, look at what the angel says to Hagar. Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name. What do we expect him to say to her? Emmanuel, right? This sounds like the Annunciation, doesn't it? This sounds like Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, you're going to be the mother of God, okay? But instead, it's the angel of the Lord coming to Hagar and saying, you're going to be the the mother of the seed, okay? And up to this point, the only other potential seed was who? Poor old Lot. And he didn't turn out to be the one to carry the blessing, did he? So um, the, my point in all of this is just to, to show you Ishmael, his, the story doesn't start bad. It's, in fact, it starts really, really good. Okay? Um, now, there's this business of him being a donkey of a man. How many of you would like to be <laughs> known as being a, a wild ass of a man? Probably not. Um, but there is, it's not necessarily a negative connotation What's the, what is the prophecy here saying? What kind of a man is he going to be? Yeah, he's going to be powerful, right? He's going to be powerful. He's going to be a fighter. He's going to be a warrior. Okay, is it wrong to be a fighter or a warrior? No. Jesus is the head crusher, right? He crushes the head of the serpent. It's not automatically this is a, a curse spoken over Isaac. Or, I'm sorry. Ishmael. Okay? Now, we, we, can, we know the rest of the story, and so we know, well, the promise that's going to be given to Isaac is better than this one, but at least it starts in a good way. Now, notice also here, what does Hagar say about the Lord? So the Lord blesses Hagar, and what does she say about the angel of the Lord? He's looked after me. Does, do, you, do you get the impression that Hagar's faith is like Bad? Is this a bad confession of faith? No, this is, this is a beautiful confession of faith. Um, look at what she calls the Lord. Um, I have seen him who looks after me. Just put little hyphen. That's how she names God. Who is God, Hagar? He is the one who looks after me. Him who looks after me. She calls the name of the place. Um, what does Bir Lahai Roy mean? You probably have a little footnote there. Anybody have that? The well of the living one who sees me. So Hagar is not an unbeliever. She is not a, a bad woman who didn't get it. You know, and she's just so thick. Um, she is an Egyptian woman. She's, she's the first Gentile, right? She's this Gentile who the Lord appears to and she believes him. She trusts him. Okay? How do we know that she listened to him? She does what he said. And Abram, 
How do we know Abram listened to her? He, he names his son what she must have told him, right? His name will be Ishmael. What does Ishmael mean? It said it there for us. God hears. That's a pretty good name, isn't it? <laughs> if, if, of course, now if, if you name your son Ishmael, you're basically saying you're a Muslim. Um, so don't name your sons Ishmael, right? Uh, but at least when it starts... This is a good name. You know what else means God hears? Samuel, right? I, I wanted to name you Ishmael, but mom said no. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's not always wrong to listen to your wife. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so we've got Ishmael. We've got, um, you know, we've got the positive side of Ishmael. Now, uh, I do want to point out to you uh, what is the, why can Ishmael not be the one who brings the blessing of God? Why can't Ishmael be the one who brings God's blessing into the world? What do you think, Hannah? I don't think he was meant to. Okay, he wasn't meant to. That's very true. Sam? He was from Egypt. He was from, well, yeah, his mom's from Egypt, but she's with Abram now. So he's a son of, he's a son of Abraham. He's not from the exact line. You're right. You're right. What else about his birth would indicate to you this isn't going to be the promised son? What do you think, Jake? Because, because he's not Abram's first son. He is Abram's first son. He's not Sarah's first son. Yeah. So you kind of get the idea that Sarah's going to get the What are the... How would you summarize for somebody... Um, this whole chapter here. He is not the son of a promise, right? What kind of a son is he? He's the son of a, he's the product of a, a scheme, right? This is a scheme. This is a, a, a conspiracy. Sarah and Abram and Hagar engage in a good old conspiracy. God isn't bringing it about we better do it for him. So in the New Testament, um, this story gets referenced. Go to Galatians chapter 4. And you'll see how it gets compared. Yes? His birth does not make anybody really happy. His birth doesn't make anybody happy. Well, I bet she was happy when she came back. I bet Abram was kind of happy. He finally had a son. He'd been waiting 86 years. I don't know. Maybe he's happy. Look in Galatians 4, verse 21. How much time do we have? 12 minutes. We can probably do this in 12 minutes. Okay, Galatians, if you uh, have been coming to the Wednesday night class, you will know the answer to this. What is Galatians all about? Justification. Justification, right? And what are the two ways that a person can be justified? Well, there's only one real way to be justified, which is... Through Jesus, we are justified by grace through faith on account of Christ. Those prepositions are beautiful. A lot of theology is just paying attention to prepositions. By grace, through faith, on account of Christ. Isn't that a great? Look at all those prepositions. By grace, through faith, on account of Christ. Now, if you're not going to be justified by grace through faith, 
How are you going to get justified? Through the law. By my own work, through the law. Or if we were going to put it in terms of Sarah and Abram and Ish and Hagar, if God won't give you a son by grace through faith, how do you go about getting a son? Have a surrogate, <laughs> right? By gra- uh, not by grace, not through faith, by a scheme through a surrogate. Now look in uh, verse 21, and you'll see how this gets listed out for you. Paul's writing, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Okay, so I'm just going to put this up on the board here. We've got slave woman and we've got free woman. We've got Ishmael and we've got What's her son's name? Isaac. Okay. Let's keep going. But the son of the slave woman was born, he doesn't say according to a scheme, he says, of the flesh. Okay. So, um, the son of the free woman was born of the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. What's an allegory? Who can define that word for us? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's a, it's a story that you tell where the different people or characters or the events in the story are symbols or analogies for something else. Okay? So Paul says, when we read this story, he's not saying it didn't really happen. Okay? You can do that. with it. You can make up an allegory. This is like Aesop's fables. right? They're kind of allegories. Did Aesop really believe that a tortoise raced with a hare? No. The point, though, is these are two kinds of people. right? There's the tortoise kind and there's the hare kind. Be like the tortoise. Okay? So you can make up allegories that aren't based in history. They're just kind of cool stories that you can tell your kids, and we all like. Like Narnia. Yeah, we like to learn from animals. Okay? Um, what Paul is doing is he's saying, this really happened, but we can draw the allegory out of it. So here's how it goes. This may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. So Paul says this is... Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? The law. The cloud. Moses goes up. Moses comes back. What's he carrying? Ten commandments. commandments. He's got all the law, right? Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem. When, Paul is, when is Paul writing this? It's after Jesus is born and died and rose and ascended, right? 
Um, Galatians is probably the, one of the earliest, I think it's the earliest of his epistles. Um, the year is, say, 48, 49. Point is, it's after Jesus. Okay? So belonging to the present Jerusalem means you're part of the synagogue. All right, let's keep reading. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So he doesn't fill in the same thing here. He only talks about Hagar. But who's the other woman he's talking about? If you're not part of Mount Sinai, what's the other mountain you can be part of? I'd suggest Mount, Mount Zion, right? And he says this corresponds to the heavenly Jerusalem. If the earthly Jerusalem is the synagogue, what's the heavenly Jerusalem? The church. The church. Aren't allegories great? Yeah. You've got to pay attention, but they're, they're really great. They're outstanding. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who had a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. And we're going to get to that story where Isaac, where Ishmael is laughing at Isaac. Um, but Paul is kind of putting all the details all together all at once. He's just slamming it all in there. Um, and we're not that fast. This, it's still early in the morning. So we have to kind of pull it apart a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Well, it seems like he, he never really elevated her. So was it just a personal Yeah. It seems like he, he took her and he you know, she was more than a she, she was more than just a regular slave, but she never got free of being slave. And the angel of the Lord tells her go back and submit to, you know, Abram and Sarah. And so you, ha you have to stay in that position. Yep. I think, yeah, you, um, you know, why didn't Abram say, now I have two wives? I think he's, you're, you know, she's, you're seeing what later would be called a concubine. Um, you know, she is more than a slave, but she's not quite free. And so Paul is just saying she stayed a slave. Okay. Now this, um, here's, here's kind of the connection I would draw for you. I, I know I mentioned it before, but we'll end on this note. Okay. We've seen this with Abram and his life. His life kind of previews the life of Israel. Right? Abram had his own little exodus, 
and he was brought out. I think in Hagar and Ishmael, you're seeing another bit of the preview. So Hagar is to Sarah like Isaac will be to Jesus. Right? We could kind of see our own little allegory in this. Hagar and Ishmael are the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. Okay? And we only are going to see we're going to see this in Abram's own life that before the real promised seed comes, there's this preliminary seed. Ishmael is preliminary. Isaac is going to be permanent. Take that as, isn't that the story of the whole Old Testament? The Old Testament, Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, circumcision, all that stuff. It's good, right? But it's not permanent. It's preliminary and it makes, it prepares the way for the permanent thing to come in. Now, if once the permanent thing comes in, you hold on to the preliminary, you know what that's like? Jeff gave me this, so I'm stealing from Jeff. That's like if you have a picture of your wife and your wife is in the same room as you and she starts talking to you and instead of looking at her, you just look at the picture and say, isn't my wife so wonderful? Just ignore her, right? She's really nice in this picture. Just don't pay any attention to her, right? Um, that's what's going to happen with Ishmael, but it starts as a good thing. Right, it's, and, and all we're getting in chapter 16 is the beginning. All right? Last, uh, last couple minutes here, any, any last questions or details we didn't touch on? There's probably more we could, we could see in this story. But let's, let, okay, let's end there. Just one thing, another Sarah, um, Sarah and Eve. Yes, Sarah and Eve. That's true. Yeah. Cain, Cain gets replaced by Seth. You can. This is what's great about the Bible, right? You can once you let your mind start thinking about these things. Once you once you really know the details, you um, you know you can get the basic story. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But then when you start reading the Bible, you start to see how God is building that story over and over and over again. And you can enjoy all the details and all the ways that the life of the patriarchs kind of prepares you for the life of the church. Let's pray and then you can ask me your question, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for that you are the God who sees um, that you look over us, that you watch over us, that you come and you rescue us uh, from sin and death and the power of the devil. We pray uh, that we would be faithful to you and to your revelation. We thank you for, uh, in the fullness of time, sending your own Son uh, to be our Savior and to rescue us eternally. Bless us now as we go uh, to our homes or as we enter into your house uh, to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, what's your question, bud?